This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. So we've looked at what faith is. We've looked at how faith comes. And um, we want to talk about how to turn your faith loose. What, how to turn your faith loose. You know, how do I activate my faith? How do I get my faith to work? How do I release it? How do I release it? Let's open our Bibles to Mark's Gospel, the 11th chapter. Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, and we read verse 23. Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. It says, For verily I say unto you, now Jesus is the one doing the speaking, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, one thing that's interesting there is that relative to the believer, let's count the number of times the word say and the word believe. Those two words are used. For verily, I say, that's Jesus doing the saying, so we don't count that unto you. That Now, we now start counting. Whosoever shall say, that's say one time. Unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. That's believe one time. That those things which he saith, that say two times, shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. In some form, the saying part is mentioned three times. The believing part is mentioned only once. Let me say this. You see, we are God's children. We have been taught to have faith. We have been taught to believe. We don't have trouble believing. The primary area where Christians, not the only, some people miss it in their believing, but the primary area where Christians miss it in the faith walk is in the same part. If you check through the epistles, and I have, to examine this, you will discover that there was no, not one single time where the believer was ever encouraged to believe. Where the believer, in the epistles, the letters written to the church, where the believer was encouraged to have faith. You see, our having to tell Christians to believe, encourage them to believe, only shows that God's word has lost its reality in many of our lives. That's the truth. Primarily, where we miss it as Christians is in the same part. Is in the same part. You see, the primary way to release our faith is with words. That's the primary way to release our faith. In James 2, from 14 to 26, James had just gotten through talking about faith without corresponding action. He's dead. And then he started off in chapter 3. Now, you know, it wasn't written in chapter and verse. It was when it was input in uh, book form that it was divided for the sake of easy reference. When he just finished talking about faith without corresponding action, he's dead. He now started talking about words. Listen to me. Words are the mightiest things in the universe. Words are the mightiest things in the universe. In actual fact, the entire universe was created with words. Words are the coins in the kingdom of faith. Words are the coins in the kingdom of faith. Hebrews 11.3 says through faith, we understand that through faith that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
I heard someone say one time that God made the world out of nothing. Well, the Bible didn't say that. It says they were made of things which don't appear. He made it out of something. He spoke it into being. Genesis chapter 1, about 10 or 11 times you read, and God said, and God said, and God said. One of the times I read that, I was wondering, why did God have to put it like that? Is he just trying to make the, big, the book big so that it will compete with other books? No. He wasn't trying to fill up space. He was trying to get us to see something there. The way faith is released primarily is with words. See, when you mention the word confession, most people instinctively think about confessing sin. And yes, the Bible does say in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's the negative side of confession. The Bible has much more to say about the positive side. Now, this is it. The word confess is the word homologio, which means to say the same thing. To say the same thing, homologio. To say the same thing that God says and to say those same things. You see, confession is affirming what you believe. Affirming what you believe. Confession is testifying to what you know. Affirming what you believe. Testifying to what you know. And witnessing for the truths you have embraced. Affirming what you believe. Testifying to what you know. Witnessing for the truths you have embraced. In the New Testament, four kinds of confession are spoken of. Four kinds. First, there was the confession of the sins of the Jews under the first covenant. The confession of the sins of the Jews under the first covenant, under the old covenant. We read that in Matthew 3, 5 and 6. When many came to John to be baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, is that Christian? No, that's not Christian. Did that get them saved? No, they, they, they weren't saved. They were just confessing their sins in John's baptism. John was Jesus' forerunner. And John pointed to Jesus. So confession of sins under the old covenant is not the new birth. Was anybody saved in the sense that we are? No, they weren't. They couldn't be. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Nobody could have been born again until after Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen. So confession of the sins of the Jews under the old covenant. That's the first kind of confession. The second kind of confession is the confession of the lordship of Jesus. The confession of the lordship of Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and, or that Jesus is Lord, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10 says, So with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And notice many people are looking in other people's books, so I'll say that again. First, confession of the sins of the Jews under the old covenant. Second, confession of the lordship of Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now, this is the confession that the sinner is to make. Are you listening? God never told the sinner to confess his sins to get saved. If the way we get saved is by confessing our sins, nobody is saved in this room. Because nobody has ever yet 
confessed all his sins. You couldn't remember all of them. It would perhaps take you as many years to confess them as it took to commit them. So you'll spend the rest of your life trying to get saved. <laughs> no, that's not true. Now, what takes a person to hell? In Romans 16, from verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come. But after I've departed, I will send him unto you. He said, And when he's come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He said, Of sin because they believe not on me. That's the sin that the sinner is guilty of in God's sight. So the confession he's to make is the confession of the lordship of Jesus over him. You know, sometimes some people think that the new birth is a commitment to stop sinning. No, that's not the new birth. My daddy smoked 11 years. And then someone insulted him over smoking and he quit. Does that mean he got saved? No. He was a smoking sinner who became a non-smoking sinner. <laughs> he didn't get saved. He just quit smoking. Just quit smoking. Just share willpower. I'm not going to do it anymore. And he stopped. My daddy took alcohol. One day I saw him finish a carton in one sitting. I saw him do that. 25 years, over 25 years, he, took, he drank. One day he just decided, you see, I'll be a big fool if this thing kills me. I teach about it. I know it. I understand how it happens. I know the liver function test. I might not be an idiot doing this thing I'm doing. Then he quit drinking. Now, did that get him saved? No. He was a drinking sinner who became a sober sinner. Or a non-drinking sinner. But he was still a sinner. It's not about what you do that gets you saved. It's about what Jesus did. Now, if we could change ourselves, then we wouldn't need Jesus. The new birth is not, you know, you trying to give up this, you trying to give up that. No, the new birth is you receive Jesus. When you receive Jesus, then Jesus changes you. You see, the life of God changes conduct. It corrects habits. It forms new ones. We preach the gospel in a way that, ah, you know, there's this expression we use. You say, come and give your life to Christ. I don't like to say that. Because in actual fact, you are dead. You have no life. The, look, Christianity, we were paupers. It's God who is the giver. We are the receivers. The only time you find about people giving their lives to Christ, it was when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, people who were already saved. When he said they gave their lives to God and to me also. In actual fact, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he, God, gave his only begotten son. Then the Bible says, But as many as received him. So we are the ones who receive. You see, we have preached the new birth in a way that people don't know what the gospel is anymore. Some people think the gospel is about a wicked world in the hands of an angry God. No. The gospel is this. That God was personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world into favor with himself. Not counting up or holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. When the sinner confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, now that's repentance. The word repent means to have a change of will, a change of purpose, a change of direction. When you receive Jesus, he changes you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Of course, it's your spirit that's recreated, not your soul, not your body. You still have to renew your mind with God's word. You still have to present your body as a living sacrifice. And walk in the spirit. Let your spirit be the dominant man. But the new birth, what gets the sinner saved is to confess the lordship of Jesus. Are we clear about that? Brother Higgin went to preach in this church. There was a man in that church who had been trying to get saved for six months. 
He had repented and repented and cried and cried and cried. Yet he, he, there was no change in his life. He couldn't. He wasn't saved. Then while the man was there, they told Brother Higgin about his case. Then they were having a testimony service one day. Then he pointed at the man and said, I want you to stand up and testify that you're saved. The man said, no, I'm not. I've been trying to get saved. I've repented. I've cried. I'm sorry for my sins. He said, look, what you lack is the confession that Jesus is your Lord. You see, confession is made unto salvation. Two things is to say. First, that Jesus is his Lord. Then he confesses that he's saved. Then he becomes saved. Well, the man didn't very much want to do it. Then Brother Higgins shocked himself. He pointed his finger at him and said, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to stand up and testify that Jesus is your Lord. Now, the man needed that. He wasn't trying to force him against his will. The man was ignorant. So he needed a little help. So the man got up and said, well, I believe that Jesus is my Lord. I confess him as my Lord. Take him as my Savior. He died for me. Quickly sat back down. And then, to get attention away from him, he pointed to someone else to testify. That person testified. Then he looked back in this man's direction. His face was lit up like a neon sign. Then he asked him, would you mind testifying again? He jumped up on his feet. He said, whoa, glory to God. He said, after I said those words, something happened on the inside of me. Something happened on the inside of me. It was like a ten-tone load lifted up my chest. Yes, something happened because confession is made unto salvation. So the confession the sinner makes is the confession that Jesus is his Lord. And he believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice it's not just about saying something. Anybody can say anything. Even the devil can say anything. It's about believing it in their heart. Somebody says, well, what if somebody uh, just goes down the altar, uh, but his life didn't change? Then he, 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 he just walked down the altar. Maybe he was trying to impress a, a babe. If you really believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him with your mouth as your Lord, eternal life will be imparted into your spirit. There will be a change in your heart. There will be a change in your heart. It will happen. That's the new birth. That's the second kind of confession. The confession of the Lordship of Jesus. That's the confession that the sinner must make. That's the heart of the gospel. The confession of the Lordship of Jesus. Well, the third kind of confession is the confession of the sins of believers. The confession of sins of the believers. Now, people have a lot of issues with this, and I'm going to give it a square deal. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, who was that written to? Some people say it was written to Gnostics. That it wasn't written to the church. Now, if it was written to Gnostics, to what end? Is it so that they can get saved? <laughs> no. Confessing your sins can't get you saved. You can't. The truth is this. You are sin yourself. You're the person who's not saved. He's a child of the devil. What he needs is eternal life. Amen. Then some people say, well, why is it that, you know, you're saying we should confess our sins. After all, when you're sick, you confess your healing. When you're broke, you confess your prosperity. Why is it that when you sin, you're saying I should be confessing my sins. I should be confessing my righteousness. Okay. Let's go back to it. The word confess. What does it mean? It means to say the same thing that God says. So, what are we saying about those sins? We're to say the same thing that God says about those sins. What does God say about those sins? For one, he says they are wrong. So you go to God. God, I did this. It was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Now, you are not confessing it so that God will become aware of it. Really, what you are doing is you are appropriating forgiveness. That's what you are really doing. You know, he says, no, but Jesus died for my sins, past, present, and future. I've had people say that. I don't like to use that expression because it gives the idea that, look, I can just go and kill somebody now. Jesus has already died for it. I don't, so I don't like to say that. I don't like to put it like that. This is it. 
Did Jesus die for the sickness of the whole world? Did he? Did Jesus die for the sickness of every believer? So, in a legal sense, is every believer healed? Legally. Every believer is healed legally. But let me ask you a question. Are some believers dying of sickness? Yes. And I know Jesus already forgave us all our sins, but you have to appropriate that forgiveness. See, Paul said something in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 29 to 32. He says, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, unworthily, you know that's how it is in the Greek, eateth and drinketh condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He now said, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. He now said, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. That's exactly what 1 John 1, 9, 2 is saying. He's saying, judge yourself. God, I should not have done that. I did it. It was wrong. It was wrong. I say the same thing about it that you say about it. Thank you that in your death, you provided forgiveness for me. I appropriate my forgiveness now for that. Thank you because I'm forgiven in Jesus' name. That's it. Is forgiveness a feeling? It's not a feeling. You can confess something like that. Appropriate your forgiveness. And you don't still feel forgiven. What do you do after? Do you go and say, oh God, I'm saying please forgive me. And you say, no, let me be penitent. Let me cry some more. My friend, you can cry until you cry your eyes out. We don't receive forgiveness by feeling. We receive it by faith. The moment you confessed it to God, he forgave you. And he forgot that it ever happened. But, 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 but I don't feel different. Well, whether you feel different, you don't feel different. Question, would you rather have a million dollars and not feel like you have money? Or feel like you have a million dollars and not have money? I'd rather have a million dollars and not feel like I have it. All I need to do is to start spending it. Then I'll start feeling like I have it. But try to spend on your feeling. And the police is going to come after you. Do you see it? So, that's also, that's a confession of the sins of the believer when he breaks fellowship. There are two words. There's relationship, there's fellowship. How do we get in a relationship with God? By receiving Jesus. How do we maintain fellowship with him? Through the word of God and prayer. Fellowship is the mother of faith. It is the parent of joy. It is the source of victory. Faith has no song when fellowship is broken. Psalm 137 is a picture of broken fellowship. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Here we wept when we remembered Zion. Those who carried us away captive required of us a song. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Faith has no song when fellowship is broken. 1 John 3, 20 and 21. The Bible says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. If our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. Look, you can't have confidence towards God if your heart is condemning you. There's a monitor God has put inside every believer. It's your conscience, the voice of your spirit. If you sin as a believer, does the Holy Spirit condemn you? No, he doesn't. He's there to comfort you and to encourage you to get back in fellowship. Will God condemn you? He won't. The Bible says, who is he that condemneth? It says, it's Christ that died. It's God who justifies. It's Christ that died. Who is even at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. So, the Holy Ghost will not condemn you if you sin as a Christian. Your conscience will. And rightly so. If you can do wrong and your conscience not hurt you over it, you're in bad shape. You're sharing your conscience. You're on the way to big trouble. So, the moment your conscience hurts you over something you did wrong, immediately straighten it out. I've learned to be quick to repent, quick to forgive, and quick to believe. That mean it. Don't wait until you get to church. Don't wait until 
you feel moved to do it. The moment your conscience smites you, no, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Immediately say, Father, I shouldn't have done that. I ask that you forgive me. Thank you because I'm forgiven in Jesus' name. And that's it. Now, if you've confessed it, he forgave you. Don't go two days after and say, God, you know, two days ago I asked you to forgive me, but I'm still feeling like you haven't. Oh, God, please now, please now. What you're really saying is, God, I know you're a liar now. God, I know you're a liar now. Have more confidence in my feelings than I do your word. That's what you're really saying. So we receive forgiveness by faith based on God's word. Once you confess it, he forgives you, he forgets it ever happened. Forget it also and walk on in fellowship with God. Amen. Praise God. So first, confession of the sins of the Jews under the old covenant. Second, confession of the lordship of Jesus. Third, confession of the sins of the believer when he breaks fellowship so he can get back in fellowship. Fourth, the confession of our faith in the word of God, in God our Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. The confession of our faith in the word of God, in God our Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then while we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hebrews 3.1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider him the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews 4.14 Hebrews 10.23 and Hebrews 3.1. You see, Christianity is called the great confession. That's what it's called. You got born again confessing. Everything in the faith of Jesus works with your confession. Everything. Hebrews 4.14, Hebrews 10.23, Hebrews 3.1. Don't forget what we said confession is. is affirming what you believe. It is testifying to what you know. It is witnessing for the truth that you have embraced. Now, don't just confess something. I hear some people in confessing in quotes. There's some I hear and I can tell. See, that thing he's saying will never happen. I can tell many times. How do I know? Some people, there is a depth of conviction that is missing. Of course, if you don't believe something, if you say it long enough, you can school yourself into faith. But this is it. Why don't we just go into the word of God and find out what it says about us and then say those same things? You see, confession means to say the same thing. Find out what God's word says and then say those same things. And make sure you're not just paying lip service to something. Let it be based on a persuasion in your heart. You see, our confession does at least three things for us. Number one, our confession locates us. Our confession locates us. What do I mean by that? Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth leaks. Sorry, speaks. Matthew 12, 34. Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, you will consciously or unconsciously confess what you believe. So our confession locates us. Secondly, our confession fixes the landmarks of our lives. Our confession fixes the landmarks of our lives. You see, your faith will keep pace with your confession. Your faith is measured by your confession. Your usefulness to the Lord's work is measured by your confession. All you are today and all you have today is the result of what you believed and said yesterday. If you are not satisfied with where you are at now in life, check up on what you're believing and what you're saying. Our words dominate us. 
our words rule us. Proverbs 6.2 says, Thou art sneered by thy words. Thou art taken, taken captive by the words of your mouth. Kenyon put it like this. He said, you said you could not do it. And the moment you said it, you were whipped. You said you did not have faith. And that instance, doubt rose up like a giant and bound you. You talked failure and failure held you in bondage. A young man said, I was never afraid until I said I was. You see, our words dominate us. Don't be a POW, a prisoner. You know, they say prisoner of war. I'm calling it a prisoner of words. Don't let your words be your prison. Our words dominate us. Our words dominate us. There are some words that will never escape my lips. Never. There are some things I don't say. I don't believe in sickness. I don't talk sickness. Now, am I saying sickness does not exist? It sure exists. It exists. But I refuse to let it exist in my body. I refuse. Now, if symptoms come, what do I do? I stand against them. And I confess my healing. I confess my health. Proverbs 12, 18. There is that speaketh like the persons of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You see, the Bible says how forcible are right words. In Numbers 14, 28, God said, as they have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto them. So, our confessions fix the landmarks of our lives. They set the boundaries of our lives. I began to say many years back, I'll preach the gospel. I'll preach that Jesus saves. I'll preach that Jesus baptizes in the Holy Ghost. I'll preach that Jesus heals. I'll preach that Jesus is coming again. I'll take the word of faith around the earth. I began to say that 25, 30 years back. I began to say that. When the only place I got to preach was in birthdays. Yeah. They tell me to give a 15-minute exhortation. I prepare for it like I'm preaching in Kenneth Higgins' camp meeting. Yeah, put all my being into it. Pray and talk in tongues hours on end. Study and study. Just 15 minutes. Because I want to put my best into it. Amen. I began to say it. I healed the sick. I raised the dead. I cleansed the lepers. I cast out devils. Freely I've received. Freely I give. In the name of Jesus. You know, I began to say those things. Why? Because I know my words will set the boundaries of my life. I know it. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. If he'll believe that what he says will come to pass. Amen. And I'm seeing those things happen. Glory to God. Our words dominate us. So, number one, our confessions locate us. Number two, our confessions fix the landmarks of our lives. Number three, our confessions affect our spirits. Our confessions affect our spirits. What do I mean by that? Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess to the mouth that Jesus is Lord. You see, you confess that Jesus is Lord. As a result of that confession, your spirit gets recreated. So those words change your spirit, really. Proverbs 18, 20 says, A man's belly, which is also his spirit, shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. And with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. See, this mouth is not only for eating gari and apple. It's also for feeding your spirit with the word of God. You see, relative to your faith, your confession is either releasing your faith, declaring your faith, or is feeding your faith. It's either you are releasing your faith, you are declaring your faith, or you are feeding your faith. 
but our words dominate us. Our words dominate us. So what are we to do? Find out what the word of God says about you and make that your confession. Brother Hagin has a book in him, little book, 32-page book. At, at the back of that book, he put these scriptures together. They're about 140. The way he put it in that book, they're 205. The way he arranged it in that book, well, I know, I counted. You know, I have it on my phone. I have all of them written out. Made a confession out of everyone. I did that first in 1989. Then I be, I've done it like five or six times since then, all over again. I actually took a pen, I took a Bible, and I wrote them out. The first ones I did. The first, like, three of them I did. And then I made a confession out of each of them, and then I began to say them. You see, faith's confessions create realities. Now, is God's word real? It's real. It's real to God. It's real in the spirit realm, but I want it to be real in my own experience. How do I create that reality? By believing it in my heart and saying it with my mouth. Find out what God's word says about you. See, our confession should center around five things. First, what God did for us in Christ in the great plan of redemption. What God did for us in Christ in the great plan of redemption. That's the first thing. What God did for us in Christ in the great plan of redemption. Second, what God did in us in the new birth and in the baptism in the Holy Ghost. What God did in us in the new birth and in the baptism in the Holy Ghost. First, what God did for us in Christ in the great plan of redemption. What God did for us in Christ in the great plan of redemption. Second, what God did in us in the new birth and in the baptism in the Holy Ghost. What God did in us in the new birth and in the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Thirdly, what we are to God the Father in Christ. What we are to God the Father in Christ. What we are to God the Father in Christ. What we are to God the Father in Christ. Number four, what Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of the Father. What Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of the Father. What Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of the Father. No, he's our advocate, our shepherd, our high priest, our intercessor, our mediator, our shorty, and our Lord. What Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of the Father. And then number five, what God can do through us by his word on our lips. What God can do through us by his word on our lips. What God can do through us by his words on our lips. What God can do through us by his word on our lips. That's the fifth thing that our confession shall center around. What God can do through us by his word on our lips. So it's not just about saying something. Find out what God says. Build it into your spirit. Meditate in it. And then begin to say it with your mouth because you believe it in your heart. See, we should constantly affirm who we are in Christ. Scriptures like... 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. The old things of spiritual death that I had are passed away. All things are become new. Ephesians 1.7, I have redemption through his blood. My sins have been remitted and forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he was made to be sin for me, him who knew no sin. And so I am made the righteousness of God in him. See, we should constantly affirm those things. We should constantly say those things. Philemon 6 says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. 
The more you affirm those things, the more real they become to you. Philemon 6. Philemon just has one chapter. You could say Philemon 1, 6, or you could just say Philemon 6. So we release our faith with words. So whether it's healing you need, a financial provision, you know, a new birth, baptism in the Holy Ghost, whatever, victory in a certain situation, find out what God's word says about it. Believe it in your heart. Say it with your mouth and watch it come to pass. Praise God. Now, questions. We've come to the end. Questions. Questions. Now, don't forget something I said. Your faith will not work if there's an air of unforgiveness about you. In the new covenant, the law of the new covenant is the law of love. I'll tell you something. The most potent characteristic of God is love. Don't ever forget that. We're strong on faith, but we're stronger about love. God is love. God is love. He has faith, but he is love. So we have to be strong about that. That's the commandment in the new covenant. And Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works by love. The more I understand the love God has for me, how he loves me, how he cares about me, and I let that love lose through me to other people, the easier it's going to be for me to release my faith. Because love is faith's power. Any questions? Someone said when there's no question, there, okay. Someone asked something about, which I've answered, actually. I've answered one question. There was another thing about um, someone that needed to make a decision. You know, he had two choices. What do you do about things like that? Just pray in the Spirit. Lord, what do I do here? Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And just follow the witness in your heart. That's how you know. You know, there was one, someone said too, where the Bible says, these all died in faith. Not having received the promise that they without us should not be made perfect. And so some people hinge on that and say, well, you can believe God and die in faith. That you can believe God and not receive. No, that's not true. Take that scripture in context. Was it talking about these all died in faith, not receiving what they believed for? No. They received what they believed for. It was talking about the promise of Jesus' coming. It wasn't for their day. So it didn't happen in their lifetime. However, they were in Abraham's bosom. They were in Abraham's bosom. So eventually, they still got it. So that's what that's talking about. Don't use that scripture to bind yourself and say, well, you can believe God and it may not work. No, it's not possible. If you act on God's word, it will work. Now, are there going to be some times when things might seem to go in a way and you don't understand? Yes. If such a thing like that happens, what do you tell yourself? Say, look, if there's one thing I know, I know God never misses it. I know the word of God is always true. You know, maybe one preacher dies who you think is a person of faith. Maybe something goes wrong and then you're wondering what went wrong. Listen, God's word is always true. Anytime there was a failure, it was not on God's side. Anytime there was a failure, it was not on God's side. God's word is always true. And then we don't use, the object of this thing is not like, don't leave Rema now. And go with your thumb stuck under your lapel and say, yeah, I'm a Rema student now. Pastor, you don't know anything. You're preaching nonsense. Look, if I hear you do that, we will chase you out of here. No, we don't want you. The essence of learning God's word is so that we can be a blessing. The real test of the knowledge of God's word is our love walk. Is our love walk. Is our love walk. We don't want you to be cantankerous and be a, a problem to your pastor. We want you to be an asset to your local church. We want you to fulfill God's plan for your life. Amen. Let's say this together. I'm a faith child, a faith child. of the faith God. I believe his word. 
I will never be the same again. I will put that word to practice. I'll receive all that is mine. I dare to take my place in Christ. I am who the word says I am. I have what the word says I have. I can do what the word says I can do. Amen. Amen. There was someone who was, um, there's someone who uh, was in a pain. Okay, you have a question. Please go ahead. Great is the mystery of godliness. Because, like, I've confronted some Muslim that told me that, see, God, you are claiming you are serving three God. So, and I try to explain that, see, God is one. Yes. So, but when the Muslim break the whole thing to me, honestly speaking, I cannot even further my preaching. So now, sir, I want you to help me because now God is one. Yes. So and Jesus is different from is different from the Father from the Holy Spirit. Please, I want to get okay. the clear picture. Okay. Let me Please. explain this. Let me explain this. A husband and his wife are one, aren't they? A husband is one with his wife. Are they one individual? No, they are two different individuals. You see. There are three persons in the Godhead. Some people say the Godhead is like water that exists in three different forms. Solid, liquid, and gas. That's not true about the Godhead. It's not one person who exists in three forms. It's three persons. Three. There is the Father. There is the Son. There is the Holy Spirit. There are three different individuals. But the three of them are in perfect agreement as one. Now, we have a class, Introduction to Theology where we talk in details about modalism, Unitarianism, Trinity, where we go into details on those Bible doctrines. But there are three distinct members of the Godhead, three separate individuals who are in perfect agreement as one. So the Godhead is a team. There are three people. When Jesus was baptized by immersion in water and came out of the water, the Father spoke from heaven. Jesus came out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily shape and form as a dove. It wasn't the Father that went to the cross. Jesus did. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. Was Jesus ever created? He was never created. As God, he had no beginning. His goings forth have been from of old, Micah 5.2, from everlasting to everlasting. He is equal with God. He taught equality with God, not a thing to be held on to. He's the second person of the Godhead. So that's what the Bible teaches. Now when it comes to uh, uh, the Bible, I've learned not to argue. I just preach the word. It's not in my place to convict. It's in my place to present the message. Amen. Any other thing? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. That's about speaking. Now, people push the name it, claim it thing sometimes to a ridiculous extreme. You know, I just name it and claim it. I just name it and claim it. Well, I just name your car and I claim it. You can't. That's covetousness. But anything God has provided for us in his word, we can take it by faith. We can confess his word. Anything we have God's word for. If we don't have God's word for it, then there's no foundation. But once we have God's word for it, then we have a foundation for our faith. And now, don't forget this too. Your faith will never override somebody else's will. No matter how much you are believing God. You know, I had a fellow, one of our graduates, his mom died. So he called me, he said, look, I don't understand what happened. And I believe God. I believe she will be healed. I believe she, would, she, she won't die, but she died. Then I asked him a question. What did your mom believe? He said, well, she said she was going to die. I think you have your answer there. According to your faith, be it unto you. You are not a witch. 
God is not going to violate your mom's will. No. You can carry a bona fide baby Christian on your faith for a while. But the time it will come when God will say, put that big young one down and let him walk. You understand? So we can't violate somebody else's will with our faith. We can't. Amen. Amen. Any other question? Yes, sir. Just go ahead. Yes. When we stand on the word of God to claim in certain promises. Yes. And there is a sick on your spirit, as in. And there is. And there is a sick on your spirit, a drop on your heart. Yes. That, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, that certain time, such a thing will be done certain time. Yes. In between then, do you still act on your feet when you have heard from God that this will be done, not now? Will you still act on your faith? Or how do you reconcile acting on your faith with that specific word from God? Okay, like what kind of a thing is it? What? Like a healing. And God says, okay, your healing will happen in two years' time. All right, thank you. Okay, that wasn't God. Amen. That wasn't God. It wasn't but, God. It wasn't God. Thank you. Know you. Why? I know thank it wasn't you. God. But it's an example. This, it's yes. Not, okay, okay. Yes. Anything that is already ours in his word, we can take now. Now, when it comes to his plans and his purposes, there's some things that have to do with timing. Yes, we follow his timing. Now, don't get me wrong. Faith will not violate the leading of the Spirit. If I'm going to travel and I have a check in my heart, don't go. I won't say, look, no evil will befall me. No plague will come near my dwelling. If I do that, I'm in disobedience. Whatever my eye see, now my eye will not see him. You get it? Because I'm in disobedience. Part of God's way of protecting me is telling me, don't go now. Then, I don't say, for instance, my tires are bad. Now, my tires are in bad. But let's say the tires of my car are bad. And I can replace them. But I just don't replace them. And I say, look, I just trust God to protect me. I just trust God to protect me. No, I'm tempting God. You know. So, it's just good. Anything that God has already told us in his word, we can believe now. Now, are there some things that will happen where his plans and purposes are concerned that might be in the future? Yes. Are there some things that God may tell you, you see, in five years' time, this will happen where you are concerned? Then you can hold on to what he told you. Sometimes don't tell it out. You know, we don't cast our pearls before the swine. Sometimes with confession, people do things that are stupid. Don't go. It, the Bible didn't say you shall have whatever he said. If he tells it to everybody, he sees. There are sometimes you are just casting pearls before swine. They will trample them under their feet. They will turn again and rend you. There are some things they won't understand. So don't cause trouble with them. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm Daniel. Yes, I've been struggling, uh, struggling with this for so long now. I don't know if God can also lead us through our body. Because through our, our bodies. Yes, I've been struggling with this. Like, uh, I'm also looking at this as a superstitious, something like that. I don't know. Okay. No, let's like take what? for instance now. Now, if I'm to go for something, yes, and uh, that thing is not going to work, yes, I will use my leg and okay. eat a stone. Okay. And uh, if it's going to work, if it's going to work, I will use my right hand uh, foot. Okay. And it has been like that. Okay. okay. I try not to. I try to overlook that. Okay. But it has been. I don't okay. know. This is it. This is it. Is there a scripture for it? 
Because you believe it, it has worked for you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Not as many as are led by circumstances. You, because you hit your, you say, you say, if it's your right leg, then it's your father. If it's your left leg, then it's your mother. Then if you, if you, if, if you misplace something, you use your left hand, you know. It's just superstition. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So, if you believe it, it can be working in your life. But it's not correct. It's not correct. God is not leading us that way. In the new covenant, our spirits are recreated. So, God guides us through our spirits, primarily by the inward witness. If God has to guide you in the natural, then you are, you are, you are so spiritually, it's like the fellow is an imbecile spiritually. And God is just trying to get true to him no matter what. But no, the way God guides us is through our spirits. The devil is the God of this world. The devil can let something drop so your right leg can hit it. The devil can let something else drop so your left leg can hit it. You know, there is a contract you are believing God for and it's for you. And then the devil knows you believe that superstition. Say, so we let something drop so you can hit it with your left leg. And then you say, no, I'm not going to get it. I, I use my left leg to hit a stone. And then the devil has you where he wants you. You see that? Yes, sir. I have to fix to quit any moment from now. I guess this is the last. Good evening, sir. Uh, yes, my sir. My question is, in a play, by, you, you have made us understand that we can't override someone's else's will. We have. We can't override someone's else's will. Yes, sir. But in a place whereby you are interceding for somebody, like yes. this person is going the wrong way, yes. and you seriously need that person to get back on track. Yes. How do you go about it if you can't override this will? Now, you can't override this will. What you can do through prayer, there's sometimes when the prayer to pray is a prayer of supplication. Sometimes a prayer of intercession. Sometimes a matter of the Holy Ghost taking hold together with you. I've been praying for people near death. And then as I was praying in the Spirit, the Holy Ghost just wasn't taking hold with me. And I said, Lord, you're not taking hold with me. You know, I'm praying in tongues. I know. You're not taking hold with me. What's happening here? And then the Lord starts talking to me. Well, he's going to die. Just leave it. Let it be. 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 And there are some cases where you can change some things. Do you understand? Yes, there is not, the prayer of faith won't work in everything. There are some things when what we need to do is to take time out and pray in the spirit. There are some times when we can help. We can manipulate the other person's will. See, sometimes the reason some people are not making the right decision is because they are being influenced by the enemy in the wrong direction. We can break the devil's stronghold over them. We can surround them with faith and love and make it easy for them to make the right decision. But still, they will still have to make their own decision. For instance, God said about Ephraim, he said he's joined to his idols, let him alone. Yeah, Brother Hagin had this brother-in-law, Doc. Doc would sleep with anything in skirt. God sent him to go and tell Doc to straighten up. Doc wouldn't listen. Well, the last time he sent it to him, Doc began to weep. He said, I know God sent you. I know you're a man of God. I know you. this is from God. But you see, I'm not going to straighten out. I'm not going to do what's right. And Doc refused to do it. He got back. He was praying for Doc. The Spirit of God said to him, he said, stop that. He said, what do you mean? He said, Doc is going to go to hell. He said, the more reason I should pray for him. He said, stop it. Ephraim is joined to his idols. Let him alone. He's made his decision. He's gambled away and played away his days of grace. Now, that's going to sound strange to some people. But, well, they may just as well find it strange. But that's the truth. Doc died cursing God. And went to his Lord and Master. Sad to say. But there are some other cases where we can influence people positively. If we could always change the other people's will, Jesus would have gotten everybody doing his earth work to be doing the right thing. But he did not. 
You did not. Yes, we can help some people. Some people we can't help. Praise God. I was talking about somebody with a pain on this, the lower side of their abdomen. Who are you? On the left side. Pain. All right, put your hand there. In the name of Jesus, put your hand where the pain is. In the name of Jesus, I curse that condition. I say, be healed now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Yes, we teach the word. We're also sensitive to the flow of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. Well, this is classroom, so we're basically about teaching. I believe those who wanted to join school, you picked your forms. This is a taster session just to, for people to have a taste of what Rhema is like. November 18 is the deadline. If you want to get into this intake, if you miss it, then you have to wait till January. Praise God. Glory to God. Have a great night's rest. Go out in life's fight. Listen, go out in life's fight and win. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.